You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer, Mark Alderman, and Jim Schultz. Guys, it's Saturday, May 9th, and uh, good morning. Uh, All right, Jim. Joblessness is at almost 15%. There's coronavirus inside the West Wing. And the Treasury Secretary is fighting with Axl Rose from Guns N' Roses on Twitter. What the hell is going on? Time to call in Kid Rock. (laughs) Battle of the bands. That's that's how to resolve this. Battle of the bands. Winner beats the virus. Yeah. We're I'm not so- in a good place, Jim. Forget for one moment political responsibility, political consequences. Forget for one moment the stock market, which is not the economy. Uh, we're we're not in a good place. In, in this country, we have depression era unemployment. We have the virus contained in some places because of the severe sacrifices that, that Americans have made, but it isn't contained in the White House, which apart from partisan politics is a very scary fact. Well, Mark, and, you know, you know, the White House, I mean, I'll address the White House. No shock that it's in the White House. Those folks are going to work every day. Um, and those offices are jammed. It's not like you sit in, you know, spacious offices in the West Wing or in the even in the EEOB. They're they're jammed tight, and it's difficult to do any social distancing. Folks are going home, they're coming back to work, and they're serving the American people. So some and, of those folks are going to get and coronavirus. They're, they're issuing guidelines for the rest of us to follow, and not. One of them is wearing a mask. Look, they're- how is that, Jim? How is it that not one man or woman or child in the White House is wearing a mask? I don't know what they're doing in there in terms of wearing masks, but well, I you can know tell they're you not, they- and you know why they're not, and they're not because of the absolute and abject failure of leadership at the top. Put on a flipping mask if you're telling the rest of the country to wear one. Or at least don't so intimidate your staff that they are afraid to do the right thing. I don't thing think anybody, there's mask. nobody intimidated in that West Wing by anybody. They're going in and doing you the job and, quite true. frankly, doing a pretty good job of it. Um, there's no, no you know, man, managing the unemployment. Uh, right. Is that oh, the good part? Well, of people the aren't working, Mark. We got to get them back to work. It's time for folks to start getting back to work. I mean, I hear not you you listen to the chambers of commerce around the country, you listen to businesses around the country, folks are ready to start getting back to work. Jim, a good job. It's not New York City, right? Right. I I get New York City, I get Philadelphia at this point in time and parts of North Jersey, but the rest of the country doesn't need to be shut in like we are in these cities. How can you say we're doing a good job? We've got by far the most cases and most deaths in in the so look, world howard howard does anybody about, believe yeah, I mean, does anybody believe anything that donald trump says how can you i'm saying the people that are going in and out of that west wing every day are doing a good job at managing the things that they need to manage For, don't forget we still have national security we need to run we still have 
all the other know, issues that's what from domestic me. policy. And does it scare you? I mean, at this point in time, it does. You know, we're not, we, we are not getting, we're not, you know, we're not getting, we are not under, under any threat from foreign nations at this point that, that are causing us to be worried about things. You know, this, the business of this country is moving along and chugging along. We're, and there are folks dedicated Jim. to dealing with this virus. But the other things, I mean, you said it yourself, the money's rolling out. It's being handled very, very well in terms of the economic response to this and the way that the agencies have handled it. And the other things that are going on in the White House, the country still needs to run, just like other businesses around this country need to get back to work. They do. People got to go to work. Jim, you got the Treasury Secretary fighting with a freaking rock star on Twitter. Like, I've been there. The chances of Hank Paulson fighting with a rock star in 2008, 2009 are exactly zero. I mean, what the heck are we spending our time on? That gives me no confidence. And yes, I've been publicly complimentary of the job that they've done in getting the money out the door. But that's, I mean, who... Who cares what Axel Rose thinks? Why does Steve Mnuchin take 10 seconds? And that's the ethos of this administration. Everybody wants to be Trump. Everybody that works inside that White House thinks they can take well, on their persona of Trump. It's a joke. Thing. Howard Washington has become nothing but a, a Twitter dome, if you will, right? Politicians are doing that all the time now. Let's not like act like Donald Trump started the, the kind of Twitter, Twitter way of campaigning. In, in, in a very public way. Every other politician in Washington's doing the same thing Steve right Mnuchin's now. Steve Mnuchin's the Treasury to Secretary. He's not a politician. He's a political appointee, Howard. He's a political Trump, appointee. Trump, 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 a serious Trump, job to I know do. You'd rather I know you'd rather have the deep state running a country, Howard. I mean, that's the, that's the way some of you Bushies think. But I, I just don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> Let's let's go back. Let's go back to the beginning. And I'm trying hard, Jim, and and it's difficult, but uh, I'm I'm going to uh, quote Jared Kushner and say that I think I'm a great success at not being partisan in simply saying we're not. Oh my in a gosh, good are, place. You Chris, are you trying to be Chris Cuomo we're, now? We're not. That's what he's, a, oh, this is not political. I don't say anything political. Everything you say is political. We're, I I think Chris is doing a good job. I. I'm happy he beat the virus, and I, I like the uh, ping pong with his brother, the governor. But but we're not in a good place. He's what, doing what, such a good job. Pardon? Because he's doing such a great job, right, Andrew? Oh, you've said he, you've said he oh, is. Please. I think I think please. the roller coaster ride that he's taken that state on, uh, not unlike Pennsylvania, they've taken these states on roller coaster rides like no other and there's no reason for it. The goalposts started at the at the end line, they got moved to the 50-yard line and then they got moved into the stands. Let's I mean, face it. Let's face it. We're no better off than we were 2 weeks ago or 3 weeks ago. Cases are still going up. Deaths are still out there in abundance. People are dying. And the only difference between today and 3 weeks ago is that the politicians which include people from both sides of the aisle, um, but most especially the the West Wing, have decided that it's better politically to open the country and have people continue to get sick than it is to stay closed and have people get better but 
not have an economy that's functioning. Howard, I, I think I think if if we were in a business where we couldn't do what we do from Zoom, you would be singing a completely different tune right now, a completely different tune. It's just completely out of touch for anyone to say, you know, it, this country is reopening too fast and too quickly. I'm, I'm on a different point, Jim, and and I'm going to try it again factually, not not politically. Chris Cuomo and I don't do politics. This is factual. Oh, come on. Here, the CDC and the White House have issued standards and guidance on how safely to reopen the economy, which every single American wants to do. One of the most dangerous and disgusting lies the president has told recently, which is a, is a daily occurrence, is that there are governors who are keeping their states shut down to hurt his reelection. But I digress. That's a that's a sidebar. There are standards that the government has issued, the White House, the CDC, about safely reopening the country, and those standards are mocked by the president. His own standards, he mocks and he refuses to follow. And a possible consequence of that is that the virus is now in the White House. Uh, we're going to blame how is, right. We're going to blame that. How on the is the rest the fact of that, the country? The fact that this thing gets transmitted how around. Is where is the leadership? How is the rest of the country supposed to follow standards that the oh. president issues and mocks? One day the coronavirus task force is being dissolved. The next day it's being continued. The third day, Jared Kushner's in charge. Leadership has consequences. And I believe and have from and the I first- believe, I believe in some of these states that the lead, the consequences of some of the leadership is that there is that this economy isn't reopening in places where it should. But take and it down Pencil, to a more fundamental level. It's the perfect example of that. Take it to a more fundamental from level. Pittsburgh to Philadelphia, this is a different state. People and, wait, what Jim, what what news feed? I don't know what I mean, the, I don't know if you saw the letter from the I don't know what Bright I mean, Art is reporting, which I guess is oh, where you're getting Speaker your of our of the House in Pennsylvania. The governor has reopened the great majority of the counties. He is doing it, as you know, county by county. Pittsburgh's reopened. It's gone from red to yellow. Okay. Guidance. I forgot where we're doing it's the It's the traffic light. So, oh, and, and your idea is we just throw it open lights. and see what happens? You don't really. No, no, I don't believe we throw it open and see what happens. But there has to be, up until last week, there was no, there was, up until last week, there needed to be a more aggressive plan at getting those places open across this state than was employed that was than was employed here. It it makes no sense that there are parts of the state that are even yellow at this point in time, where there are more there are many more trees and they are and yellow than people. Because the governor is following the federal standards, the CDC and White House guidelines. And as counties well, meet, the governor should have followed the federal standards when he closed all construction in the state when he didn't need to. I mean, there are things that were done here that were completely out of line. And, you know, and they tried to, you know, there are folks that tried to argue before the courts. 
nobody's going to win it there because it's certainly going to be left to the judgment of the governor. I just think there's there were some very bad decisions made across the board on. But Who's guys, taking it to a more fundamental level, taking it to a more fundamental level, people for President Trump. I couldn't hear you because Howard was stepping on you. Who's done a better job of managing the crisis, Governor Wolf or President Trump? Oh, I think the federal government has done a much better job than the state government. Donald Trump. At least there's some consistency there. At least there's some consistency there. I know. I'll say it. I I believe Donald Trump is doing a better job. I clearly can't get a word in edgewise here. Guys, people don't. This is the Pennsylvania podcast. People don't trust government. It is leadership. This is a matter of leadership. And the thing that people need the most from government, the most from their leaders is trust. And and trust goes to honestly reporting the facts, telling the truth. And there's just there's just not a lot of truth telling going on. And that's not a partisan comment because right here in Maryland, you have a Republican governor and people gen people generally feel like they're getting told the truth. They feel like he's being thoughtful and honest and communicating facts. You know, I don't know. You guys are arguing about Pennsylvania, but Jim, I just don't think that people feel like Trump is like they can rely on the information that he's providing. They don't believe that he's a truth teller and they don't believe as a result, there's there's a lack of faith. Look, people don't in the believe federal politicians response. generally. You're sitting in the state with the most popular governor in the country and and one of the best governors in the country, I might add. But I I have to tell you, people don't believe, people don't believe politicians generally. You talk about trusting government. That's what ushered Donald Trump into the presidency is that people didn't trust government. It's unbelievable. So for you to sit here and say, well, Donald Trump's the reason why people don't trust government is ludicrous. People don't trust politicians because it's nothing but doublespeak coming out of coming out of Washington and coming out of state legislatures across the country. Well, he's a symptom and a cause. We know that. I am Mark. You you just want to blame Donald Trump for for the rain. I get it. But it's just it's unbelievable to say that he's the cause of why people don't believe politicians. So, guys, let's let's switch topics. Let's I'm going to go in an altogether different direction now. (laughs) That was fun. It was. But, um, Mark, we have to keep the people happy. And one of the things that uh, the people want to talk about these days is who Biden is going to pick as his as his running mate. How do you size up the uh, vice presidential choice by the former vice president and presumptive Democratic nominee for president? Well, we've talked about it before on here and and I've said before, I'm happy to say it again because I I still think it's the answer. You know, Joe Biden is going to pick a vice president in the mold of Joe Biden because Joe Biden is by his uh, DNA and genes and uh, lifetime of experience. Joe Biden is constitutionally incapable of picking someone whom he does not respect, with whom he does not think he can work, someone whom he does not think is prepared to be the president. He went through eight years. If ever there were a nominee who has a fixed idea of what the role requires and what the resume and and profile of the vice president should be, it's Joe Biden. And he's going to pick a a candidate who looks like Joe Biden. He's 
going to pick a woman he has pledged and and he will and i think that is a a politically good idea and i think there are a a handful only elizabeth warren is not joe biden and is not going to be his um his running mate i saw this week that bernie uh, apparently allegedly doesn't want her either which is just internal democratic uh gossip but yeah, Amy Klobuchar, Gretchen uh, Whitmer, Gina Raimondo there. I, I think you're going to see someone from the heartland, and I think you're going to see someone who thinks like Joe Biden does. Mark, Rhode Island is not the heartland, just to be clear. And I, I don't think it's a great it's idea coastal, to pick, It's not coastal to have a ticket comprised to be of two clear, of the smallest states in the country. Just to be clear, Governor Raimondo stopped New Yorkers at the border and checked their papers before admitting them to the beaches. So she acts like a, a Midwestern governor. But I, I do know where Rhode Island is. Thank you. I, I know. You go there often. <laughs> Been through it. Been through Jim, it. what do you think is the uh, most dangerous pick for Trump? that Biden could make. I never believe any of the uh, the vice presidents make a hill of beans difference in the election. But could and historically be now? No, I don't think it does. I think it helped Trump a little bit uh, to, to firm up the, you know, the religious conservative base in the last election. But I don't think it's it was a determinative factor. I think it was helpful. Well, you want to I, I think you end up wanting to pick someone who isn't going to hurt you who may deliver a big state, may not deliver a big state, you know, and, and, I, you know, and if they don't deliver a big state, I think they have to bring a constituency of folks along that you need. In this case, Joe Biden needs the folks who follow AOC. And how does he energize that group as a 75 plus year old man, white man? How does he, how does he energize that group? He's not Bernie. We know that Bernie did energize that group. So who who does? And I, I don't know that any of those folks do that for him. And if Mark says that he's going to pick someone who's like him, I think that's great. That's well, good for the Republican. Mark, is that right that he needs to pick a progressive, like somebody who can bring the progressive AOC wing, Bernie wing of the party to the party? I I think uh, it's right and wrong, and and I hate to do it, but I do agree with Jim that the vice presidential pick is overrated. It is uh, all the rage in the media until it's made, and then unless you pick Sarah Palin or yeah. Tom Eagleton, going back to our youth, or at least my youth. Uh, <laughs> nope, no comment. Let, no you, comment. you do no know, comment, who, right? Well, let's take a poll. How many know who Tom Eagleton is or I'm was? Not sure, I'm not sure I could raise my hand on that, Mark. Yeah, I, well, I'm a student so of the game, and I still George, don't know who Tom He Eagleton was George is. McGovern's original vice okay. presidential pick, a senator from Missouri who had, sadly, some challenges with depression, which came out during the campaign. And he was swapped out for Sergeant Shriver, uh, married to Eunice Kennedy, but that's that's Peloponnesian Wars, as Howard but would guys, say. I think so. I I know. I think I think it doesn't matter a lot uh, once it's done. 
But there is no one, Howard, whom he can pick who is going to do that and at the same time be acceptable to compatible with him. So I don't see it happening. I think it matters more this time because I've said this before, whoever the pick is, is the presumptive head of the party going into the next election. So for two years, Joe Biden is the president. And for the next two years, whoever the vice president is, is running for president and is effectively the head of the party. So I think it matters a lot in terms of the direction of the Democratic Party and therefore is much more consequential in people's minds heading into 2020 than is typically the case. Democrats, Howard, maybe it matters to Democrats, but in terms of swing voters and president folks who just come out and vote in presidential elections, you know, you have voters that just come out. That's why turnout's so much higher in presidential elections. For those folks who come out just in presidential elections, they want to know what you're going to do for them now, right? They're going to be looking at making a decision as to whether they want to continue with four years of Trump and what he's done, or they want to change for whatever reason. And that change has to be something that they believe can impact their lives now. And I think in the, it's, it's fun to talk about in the Democratic, on the Democratic side of the aisle, who's going to lead the party. But most of your, 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 your turnout Democrat, your turnout you know, presidential voter is going to think about what's going on now. Well, there's yeah, a I, reason why he said he's picking a woman, right? Right. I mean, it's he made a, a political woman. judgment. Right. right. But, but to Jim's point, and, and we've said this on here before, but again, for 98.6% of the electorate on November 3rd, there is only one issue, and that is the coronavirus crisis. Nothing else is going to matter. The judgment is going to be who can get us out of this mess, because for sure, whether we're doing better or worse, whether it's all Trump's fault or the, the gods, this country is still going to be in a hole on November 3rd. And the judgment is going to be who's going to get us out of this mess. And I think in that immediate context, I think Jim's right that the vice presidential pick is, is just going to be less consequential than it would be in a calmer time. This is going to be a referendum on COVID-19. And Mark, he, Biden added a a deputy campaign manager to his team in the last week, a friend of yours. Talk talk about Rufus and um, what he brings to the ticket and um, why Biden did that and what that tells us about the direction of the election. Well, Rufus Gifford is the first openly gay ambassador in the United States history. Barack Obama appointed him ambassador to Denmark, and Rufus married his husband in the United States uh, embassy in in Copenhagen. Rufus, uh, before that, among many other achievements, had run the fundraising for Biden for Obama, Biden, excuse me, I almost got that in, in the reverse order. And he is being brought in to the Biden campaign with a, a number of uh, portfolios. His real purpose, I talked to Rufus uh, earlier in the week, he's up on Nantucket 
trying to get to Philadelphia, where we know Biden headquarters is. Uh, I'm in Philadelphia trying to get to Nantucket. So Rufus and I are working on a on a swap arrangement there. But what he has been brought in to do is to marry up the fundraising, political, and policy pieces of the campaign. And I think it is all part of what you're seeing where post-nomination, now that Biden is the nominee, you're seeing a regrouping and and a restructuring of the campaign. You have uh, Jen O'Malley coming in as campaign manager. You have Rufus coming in right right behind her. You are seeing veterans of the uh, Obama-Biden 08 and 12 campaigns coming in and and putting this uh, now on a general election footing. Meanwhile, that's, they're invisible. The point. They're invisible. Well, I mean, you cannot see Biden anywhere. And obviously, he's not leaving his house for, for very good reasons, but the campaign is invisible. And I guess I'm wondering if that's by design. Do they think it's better to just remain invisible and let Trump sink himself? Is that the strategy or is it that they just can't get any traction because it's all coronavirus all the time and he's not in charge? I think it's a combination of all three. Plus, they don't want him out answering, out answering questions, particularly about Tara Reid, right? I, I wouldn't, he has, a, they have an opportunity to not have to answer any questions relating to that or have him personally answer questions relating to that in a, in a, in a quite frankly, a forum that He's just not good at answering questions generally. Um, he fumbles through things a little bit, and he's certainly going to fumble his way through that when he's held to the when his feet are held to the fire. But I think that's largely. I mean, look, they don't have a candidate who has a history of saying the right things at the right time. And I, and I get that. I, I look, you, uh, you can all jump all over me about Trump, Mark. I get it. But well, but Joe Biden and Trump, he's not going to get away with it. Right. Then that's the difference. Like Trump gets away with some of the things he says. Biden doesn't get away with it. People people think think he's just fumbling through things. And, you know, I I just think that's part of the issue. They're trying to hide the guy away. And it's tough for him to break through. Howard, to your point, it's a time frame right now where political messaging is very difficult to get front and center. And I think they're probably doing the right thing by keeping him away. I I think they're doing the right thing by what they're doing. I don't think he's being hidden away. He's also, by the way, out there much more than either of you would know because he is speaking online, uh, uh, albeit uh, to his supporters. And I get it. You're going to tell me that he's got to do more than that to get elected president. Of course he does. But the election is still almost six months away, a little less now. The campaign is regrouping. It's reloading financially. It is re-strategizing. Joe Biden is not going to be invisible come late summer and, and certainly in the fall. But for the next period, the next 30, 60 days or so, I, I think it's going to be planning for for the fall because as we're all saying there there's nothing anybody is paying attention to except reopening the country safely and Jim, the virus do you think that 
the Republicans are going to have a convention, a live convention, a, a an in-person convention. If President Trump wants a convention, they're going to have a convention. If President Trump decides not to have a convention, they won't have it. That's entirely his call. You think people would well, show up? That wasn't up? the question. I don't know the answer to the question. <laughs> I, would, I don't. I don't. I think I don't. I'm not sure the senior leadership in the campaign knows the answer to that question precisely yet. So no, I don't to know be the planning answer. for the possibility on both sides well, of the aisle. So the likelihood for a virtual convention, they have have to, to have to be planning for a virtual convention and a and an in person convention that will look like no other convention we've ever seen. So. You know, the the floor operations by, you know, I ran the floor operations and was part of that team in 2016 in Cleveland. And Mark was there begrudgingly. But it was, yeah, most, was you know, it's, it's we gonna, were Howard, nothing like yeah, Howard was there. We, we have worked very hard and succeeded mostly in blocking all memory of that convention. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it was, you know, as that. Well, one of the worst things in American. Listen, <laughs> there's no question that the Democrats run a more fun convention. There's zero question <laughs> about that. Yeah, maybe not this year, by the way. But yeah, you know, yeah. I was I was on with Milwaukee. I was on with the the convention of folks earlier this week, and they are they have Plan A and Plan B, and it's unclear day to day which is A and which is B, but there is planning for a virtual convention for sure. That's probably the favorite. That's probably what happens. There's also planning for a very different convention in person with delegates only, none of the fun stuff surrounding it, and masks and social distancing and testing if we ever get that up and running. But but my personal prediction is you're not going to see that uh, on our side. And my guess, Jim, is that you might see it on your side. This guy, yeah, might. this guy might decide the hell with it. We're I'm going and so is everybody else and no masks. Well, I did read that the, the Trump campaign I read is thinking of holding rallies at drive-in theaters, which I did, I must say, I thought was brilliant. That's a great idea. I thought it was a great, a great idea. idea. I thought it was brilliant, but I would like to point out that I'm pretty sure if that happens, we're going to be able to get one car to get its horn stuck and just <laughs> honk through the whole damn thing. So I'm I'm working on I've, the one I've car. Been in, I've been in one of those. I've been to one of those rallies recently in Hershey, Pennsylvania, before all this broke. It was this past fall. And there's not a there's not a, a car horn that's breaking through the noise in the parking lot that was packed or the stadium yeah. that was packed. It was remarkable. Well, it, it guys, really was. It's uh, it's Mother's Day tomorrow. So shout out to all the moms out there. And happy Mother's Day. You know, certainly. uh, uh you know, it's an interesting time to be celebrating Mother's Day, but hopefully it'll be a beautiful day tomorrow and we can have some fun and step back from this and think about the important stuff. So uh, thanks as always. We'll stop it here and wish everybody a great weekend and a happy Mother's Day. Thanks, Howard. Jim.